The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, I'm joined in studio by the CEO of the RIAC, uh, Transport Commentator Conor Falcon. Conor, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Hi. Now, let's uh, uh, talk about the weather at the moment. Mm. Uh, I didn't find the weather to be as cold as I had been expecting overnight. It was around uh, zero when yeah. I was coming in. But in other parts of the country, it was very much colder. Yeah, it got really cold in the Midlands, down to around minus five. Uh, and then in the northwest, a little bit of a dusting or sprinkling of snow. And that, of course, really hazardous. First time it's happened to us this winter. Um, so the danger of snow and ice obviously means that, that roads can be slippery. You really must slow down. The one that scares me on a morning like this isn't so much snow and ice because it's generally dry. It's fog and fog in the Midlands. Um, and particularly vulnerable there are our motorways. I actually, I drove across to Sligo on Sunday myself and I hit a really thick fog bank you could barely see in front of you. Um, depressingly, some cars didn't reduce speed at all. Um, and mo- motorways are statistically the safest roads we've got. They're great. But on a morning like this, they become the most dangerous. You absolutely must slow down when there's fog on the motorway. Okay. Um, Generally, the motorways will be gritted if they're expecting uh, really cold weather. And not every road is going to be gritted, though. So... You know, you must be aware of local conditions. Yeah, very much so. So if you're in the northwest this morning, Sligo, Leitrim, Donegal, into Northern Ireland, uh, you'll see there's been a bit of a dusting and a smattering. And, you know, snow will fall and thaw a bit and wind will blow it around. But what that means is the road surface remains wet behind it. And at these temperatures, it can become a sheet of glass. So what looks like a perfect road, no problems. The sun is up in the sky. looks like a beautiful morning. The bend in the road at the point where you touch the brakes, you could have no traction at all. So the only countermeasure is slow down. You absolutely must slow down. Take your foot off the brake. Yeah, the most important safety component, your right foot. Because um, your instinct is to slam on the brake. And yeah. then, of course, the wheels lock up and you're sliding well, all over the place. Years gone by, I remember giving a, a you know, spiel about this when I was working in the AA. It's kind of yesterday's technology because nowadays cars all have ABS brakes, which means that the car does the clever stuff for you. Not like a rally driver of yesteryear where you said pump and release, pump and release, pump and release. Or drive into the or skid. Or drive into the skid. Nowadays, the car does traction control. People, you've heard the phrase traction control, haven't a clue it does. I mean, that's what it does. There are sensors on all four wheels. They'll detect locking. The anti-lock brakes will automatically grip, release, grip, release, grip, release to stop a skid. So the car's doing all the clever stuff. You jump on the brakes and try and stop in a straight line. And as I say, the clever bit that the car can't do is the bit you bring to the party, which means travelling more slowly in the first instance. Mm. Now, uh, let's talk about toll dodgers. Uh, Yeah, Uh, well, there's a little story here and it's cropped up a few times. Um, There are a number of toll dodgers who've appeared in court for for not paying the M50 fine or not paying the M50 toll. And you might think, do you know what? I think I did that myself one day or whatever. How bad can it be? There are people who are piling up hundreds and hundreds of M50 toll charges and just not paying the fine. You wonder who these people think they are because, you know, they get away with it for a period. But uh, just to warn people, the toll gate now, they have a log of frequently offending registration numbers. There will be guard the cars that can follow you and you will eventually be caught and wind up before the courts as a number of these people did the other day. Um, In some cases, hundreds of violations, but people were being fined tens of thousands of euro along with the back tolls. So it's going to sting and sting sharply, provided, of course, I don't know who these individuals are, but, you know, you suspect that some might be in the midst of the the black economy and stuff. You're lucky lucky ever to get hold of them. But crazy behaviour. Now, there is an argument that says, uh, look, we want to keep people out of rat runs and Mm -hmm. so on, 
there should be no tolling on key things to get people uh, out of the city. And I saw a report from Eamon Ryan saying that they're going to have a new traffic management system Mm. during the summer uh, that is going to eliminate through traffic. And he said to us the other morning, 60% of all traffic going into Dublin City is traffic that wants to get out the other side, does not really want to go through the city at all. Mm. So he's got a new traffic management plan, details of which we do not have. Well, we've some, or at least I do, because I've been involved to some extent in some of the conversations. Um, There's there's a a demand management strategy is is in preparation. We'll be hearing more about it in the coming weeks. One of the aspects of that refers to what they call cap captive car users Um, and you know I was one of those this morning Pat I didn't take the bike it was a little bit too icy I regretted it took me forever to get the car into town very few people actually want to drive the car into town and there's true traffic as you say Um, so what do we do about it well he's got a number of measures that are cooking in this little policy that we're going to be hearing more about and some of them I think are a bit off key for example um, a a plan for all uh, all public sector workplace car parking to be phased out Um, and you scratch your in and say, why? I mean, does that include electric cars? Are we not having a conversation about providing e-chargers for, for, for public service? No, we're not having that. And apparently it doesn't matter whether the car is a zero emission electric or an old fashioned diesel. They just want the car gone. So you ask, why is this? And OK, it's about climate. Um, it's about congestion. It's about quality of life in urban areas. And, you know, I hope to God it's eventually about the economy because that seems to be a little lost in all of this. Yeah. And our city centres, including Dublin, are, are suffering. They're not well, bouncing can, back Can as you give fast. us any clue as to how he proposes uh, to eliminate the through traffic, the traffic that really wants to get out the other side, has no business in Dublin city centre, but is still forced to cross the Liffey uh, through the centre of town. Any any clues as to what the strategy is? Well, essentially, no. I mean, you fall back on improved bus services through Bus Connects and, and various other things. Um, but I mean, ask anybody who regularly has to do that and they, it just feels as if they've been left high and dry. There are lots and lots and lots of people who aren't climate vandals, who buy into all of this, who will faithfully recycle their cans. But in practical terms, if they want to get to where they're going in a commuting morning, they simply can't do it by public transport, not without an unrealistic burden being placed upon them. And it is that characteristic that makes Galway, Cork, Limerick, Dublin profoundly different from Amsterdam. Copenhagen, London, which is the comparators we get when they talk about what's possible in terms of reducing car use. And as I said, so the the strategy. I mean, at the moment, Dublin City is like an obstacle course. Mm. I mean, trying to get where you used to be from A to B, and you knew the roads that uh, you could take. Uh, Some of them will be one way. Some of them will be pedestrianised. Most of them will have bollards uh, to facilitate cyclists and so on. All it conspires to do is to slow everything down Mm. considerably. And, you know, you you can understand why, say, at least Street Bridge, that pedestrians and cyclists uh, have right away. I watched it this morning and uh, I think two cars went through and then the pedestrian lights went on favouring cyclists and pedestrians. This is at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, Another two cars are allowed through. Then the, the lights go again. The, the mantra seems to be that no pedestrian should ever have to really stop. No yeah. cyclist should ever really have to stop. Let the cars do the stopping. But of course, the impact of that is to slow everything is down. It's to cause this concertina effect. And, you know, most mornings I am that cyclist. And if you are the cyclist, it, you know, it kind of feels great. You're cruising past a long, a, a long line of cars. And all of the things being equal, unless I've got a good reason not to, my default behaviour should be to cycle. Um, and I think the, the concern or the policy seems to assume 
that everybody's default position is they're going to drive. And these people need additional pressure. They need a bit of a kick, a little bit of a pinch, maybe tax them a bit more, maybe make parking a bit more awkward. And, you know, anybody in Dublin City this morning... We don't need further disincentive. Driving in Dublin this morning was a bloody nightmare. Half the city is late for work. They do not need any further discouragement from using the car. What they do need is decent alternatives. If if your only policy is to assume that all car use is bad and anything we do to make it difficult must by definition be constructive, well, then I think you're making a mistake. I was talking to the Minister this morning about uh, Dart and Lewis. Now, Lewis... It's grand if you're going from, say, Cherrywood into the centre of town or going from Talla to the beginning of town. But Mm. then once it intersects with ordinary road traffic, Lewis is very slow. So the capacity of the Lewis lines to deliver depends on the slowest section. That's that's the uh, obvious common sense. With Dart, Dart has uh, always right of way. Mm -hmm. It's very quick. Yes, A dart train with four carriages can uh, carry 640 people, perhaps more, crammed in. Uh, a five carriage, you can, you can do the math. Yeah, they yeah. can go every three or four minutes. Um, and, and so this the is the difference. Is enormous. Between, yeah, this is the difference between light rail and metro. And metro, by the way, which is often spoken of, doesn't literally mean underground. It just means that it's on its own segregated way. I mean, a, a good example I would think of is the Nice metro. Anybody knows the city of Nice in the south of France? They only built this in the last 10 years or so. And it runs along, uh, you know, the Promenade des Anglais. Occasionally it's underground and eventually it comes up and you wind up in the airport. Um, and it, it's a super service. The moment they built it, it was full. It's exactly what we should have from Dublin Airport to Dublin City Centre. And you talked about Lewis getting congested when it gets into town. I mean, what, what if there were 12 Lewis lines in Dublin? You know, what if there were six in Cork, four in Galway? Those cities would be absolutely transformed. And, and I guarantee that, you... you know, so many um, Lewis lines <laughs> sluggishly taking to the city streets, unless they have dedicated rights of way they're going to cause more congestion. Yeah, and, you know, you can consider for the bigger cities underground at the pinch points, segregated ways, you know, patches of underground in the city centre. You don't need to run underground all the way to Furhouse or Tala. Um, but there are ways in which, I mean, this in a sense is just engineering. Um, but lots of other cities in Europe, um, I th- think of Barcelona, I think of Madrid, think of the French cities like Grenoble, Montpellier, um, Nice in the south of France, some of the English cities. They have done a marvellous job. Um, but they didn't attempt to do it without building public transport. They didn't pretend that this can happen without building public transport. A a final point from a listener. Buses that don't come have a daughter who travels to DCU from Skerries and buses are often full when they pass Collins Avenue. Mm. You cannot rely on the public travel network. Me too. My other option is the 15 bus, which is a brilliant service, runs every 15 minutes, now runs every 24, now runs 24 hours. Absolutely fantastic until, on average, at least once a month, it just doesn't turn up. And if you've got to get to work on time, you can't tolerate that. And, you know, that in a nutshell is the difference between how we treat public transport and how they do it in continental Europe or if you've ever visited Japan. It's a different world. Different world. Uh, Connor Faulkner, CEO of the RIAC, transport commentator. Connor, thank you very much for joining us. We'll take a break. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.